0: Look at the load I'm hauling. Hard work, I hit it harder. Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer. Sun up to sundown, backing up traffic
1: all the way to town. Camo hat and a farmer's tan.
2: Cause I'm a working man. Hey, welcome to- Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Well, welcome to Fast Line Fast Track. We're awful glad to have you here with us. On this week's episode, we talk about the state of the rural health care system in the face of the COVID 19 pandemic. We also hear from a farm equipment dealer about what businesses look like since his state issued a stay-at-home order. And then we'll hear from USDA officials about a new pilot program designed to ensure children and low-income Americans will continue to have nutritious food during the COVID-19 outbreak. Finally, we'll talk with country music singer Don Anita, the Academy of Western Artists 2018 Western Female Vocalist of the Year, and the aunt of the late country music superstar Joe Diffie. You won't want to miss a moment of this one. Let's go. Well, first up this week, COVID 19 is a real crisis for healthcare providers, according to one industry expert. Lori Boyer of KSIR Radio in Fort Morgan, Colorado, recently talked with Alan Morgan, the CEO of the National Rural Health Association, a nationwide nonprofit made up of hospitals and health-related facilities in rural areas across America. In Boyer's report, Morgan says COVID-19 is a very real crisis for rural communities.
3: A lot of the other topics we would have talked about regarding rural and rural health care still apply and they intertwine with the COVID-19 concerns Concern that we have right now, and I say that because rural America is older, sicker, poorer, um, a greater percentage of chronic health needs among populations of, of rural communities. This is the population most at risk for COVID-19. And at a time where you've got these communities that have uh, a large population of seniors and um, serious chronic health needs, uh, rural America is unfortunately defined by chronic health care shortages as well, too.
2: And the significant health care issues in agricultural areas across America don't stop there.
3: Before, they postponed all the revenue-generating procedures at their facility. So right now, Um, They're in a cash crunch out there, and it's a particularly bad time for rural hospitals from a financial
2: standpoint,
3: number one. Number two, they're struggling, as I think all providers are, with um, accessing personal protection equipment.
2: And that was Alan Morgan, CEO of the National Rural Health Care Association. And we want to use that as a springboard to delve further into the issue. And now I want to bring in Beth O'Connor, who is the executive director of the Virginia Rural Health Association. Beth, welcome into Fast Line Faster.
4: Crack. Oh, thanks for having me.
2: So this COVID-19 crisis has really exposed a lot of financial struggles and operating challenges in many industries. And from what I've gathered, that has been true among many rural health care facilities as well.
4: Yes. Anytime you put stress on a system, whatever that system may be, you're going to see the cracks. Mm-hmm.
2: And so, you know, one of the big ones that, that we've heard so much about is just the financial health of a lot of these hospitals and, and, and healthcare facilities. How do we go about uh, fixing it in the short term and in the long term?
4: Well, in the short term, you know, there's been several uh, bills going through Congress trying to, to relieve the pressure points uh, for our healthcare providers, and rural has certainly been part of those. And the more, um, the more things we can do with that, the better, whether that's you know, consideration for how long our critical access hospitals are allowed to keep people before transferring them, whether that's making sure rural health clinics can do telehealth. There's a a wide variety of of things that could be addressed just from the regulations um, that wouldn't cost the taxpayers any money that would make the situation better.
2: And this is stuff that doesn't come as a surprise. This is stuff that you guys have been beating the drum for for quite some time.
4: Many, many years.
2: Mm -hmm. So now we're in the midst of this situation here, the coronavirus, COVID-19, What are you hearing from your member organizations and uh, what can you guys do uh, here in the midst of this to to kind of address and and bring some of this stuff to light?
4: Right. So the big issue for many of our small rural clinics is being able to get their hands on things like masks and gloves, those Mm -hmm. personal protection equipment items. Um, For many of them, because they're not part of a larger health system, you know, one of the big hospital systems that has, you know, 5, 10, 100 sites, they don't have the purchasing power to be able to get their hands on that equipment at any price, much less the inflated prices we're looking at right now. So what the Virginia Rural Health Association has been doing has been serving as sort of a a, a group purchasing outlet for them to be able to say, hey, I need 100 of these and 1,000 of those and placing bulk orders on their behalf and figuring out which vendors are real and which are scams because we're seeing a lot of scam vendors Pop up with this
2: crisis Well and I tell you Where we sit in Kentucky We get a daily update At 5 o'clock every day From from the governor And uh, yep. wh- one of the things That he has talked about uh, Repeatedly Is how states are, are, are having to Do a lot of that same thing Where it's a, essentially a, An eBay type process and, and you don't know Exactly who you're Buying it from If you can get it You're competing With other states And that's at a state level So f- for these small Healthcare providers I've got to imagine Imagine that it's just uh, uh, having them about ready to tear their hair out.
4: Right. And for many of them, um, they're, they're already short-staffed. They mm-hmm. already have several people filling multiple roles. For them to be able to go out and find sources that are legitimate, that aren't price-gouging, that can deliver in a reasonable time, it's just one more thing that they don't have time to deal
2: with. Well in the past couple of days then to add another level to this, uh, I've heard that some have become so uh, financially strapped on a cash flow basis that they're having to, to uh, trim staff at probably the worst possible time to have to do that.
4: Yeah it, it's really rough. Um, you know again, when anytime you, know, you put pressure on a system, you see where those stress points are. you know rural America on average has more people who don't have insurance. Well, if those people who don't have insurance aren't able to take the preventive measures that they need to avoid COVID, they're the ones more likely to wind up in the emergency room, and now they're in the emergency room without insurance.
2: Well, another of the the reports that that I've heard coming out over the past week is, is so many of these, you know, ventilators. You, you, you listen to the uh, presidential da- daily briefings, and, and ventilators such a big uh, deal. But but a lot of these smaller hospitals may only have uh, one or two for the whole facility.
4: Yeah, very, very few. Typically, the small rural hospitals, the critical access hospitals, are designed to either treat minor issues in house or to stabilize a patient and send them to a larger urban hospital. Well, right now, you can't send someone to a larger urban hospital if that urban hospital is already at capacity or more likely these days over capacity, so you're going to have to keep them on site. Well, sooner or later, there's not going to be enough of anything, including ventilators, for the population.
2: So as you guys move forward and and this kind of shapes uh, some of the discussion, what are some of the key priorities of your organization?
4: So we will continue to advocate for policies that will help our rural hospitals and clinics. That's number one on our list. And, of course, making sure that they've got the supplies and support that they need to keep doing what they're doing
2: and if i'm listening to this and i'm a farmer or a rancher or somebody in rural america who is served by these hospitals how can i get my voice heard to make sure that i become part of the discussion to let people know that you know there are users out here who depend on this so
4: i'm actually going to back up to something that they can do immediately to help their local hospital their local clinic i want every everybody every farmer every rancher every anybody to look through your shed, your barn, your workshop, your basement, your man cave, your whatever, and dig out every pair of gloves and every N95 mask that you bought thinking you were going to do some home improvement project and either never got around to it or you used only, say, one respirator out of a box of five and there's still four perfectly good respirators sitting in that box. Dig out every last one of those supplies. I don't care if it's a little dusty and hand them over to your local hospital or clinic. They will be thrilled.
2: That's great information. And I tell you what, if folks want to know more about the work that you're doing there at the Virginia Rural Health Association, where can they go to learn more?
4: So if they just go vrha.org, right there on the front page, there are community resources in dealing with COVID. Would love for people to check that out and do what they can.
2: Well, Beth, we appreciate you taking the time to join us here on Fast 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 Track. And we'd love to uh, stick with you on this here as as things develop and have you back to uh, kind of give us a progress report.
4: That would be great.
2: So back on Fast Line Fast Track here. Now it's my pleasure to bring in Glenn Fife, who's the owner of G&M Implement. They're out in Greeley, Colorado, a big ag co-dealer. And uh, Glenn, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Oh, thank you. So, so much talk about COVID-19 and how it's affecting different businesses in the agriculture industry. What are you guys seeing in terms of footprint? Traffic over the past couple of weeks, and how, if at all, has it affected your business?
5: Well, you know, as far as our business, I mean, I haven't seen where it's really affected it much at all. I mean, you know, the farmers got to go, and the only thing that's maybe slowed it down some is the weather because it keeps staying wet, and they get in the field, and they get out of the field, and uh, but you know, other than that, I mean, you know, people aren't, you know, the farm they aren't afraid to come in. I mean, they come in, and we do our business, and. You know, try to keep our distance, you know, our six-feet distance and stuff. And I, you know, I said, in fact, you know, last month we had a pretty good month.
2: Uh Uh, Have you gotten any kind of sense of uh, if your online traffic has increased at all? No, it's
5: probably about the same. Hmm. Probably
2: about the same. Um, so, so I noticed one of the things that uh, that you guys had done to t- take uh, some proactive steps, uh, you had posted online some some new uh, face shields in the parts department. Yeah,
5: the parts, parts department, yeah, we put them up just to you know kind of work with the people on this deal and uh, hopefully it'll be over here before too
2: long so from where you said uh 19 aside this is the time when folks are getting ready to get their equipment ready get out in the fields and that work doesn't stop oh yeah
5: i mean that's it's, it's the season i mean it's spring spring work i mean they'll probably start planting corn here in the next week you know you're providing it dries out enough i mean they've got all their grains in and you know, sugar beets need to be put in, and you know, like I said the only thing holding them up is just you know the ground's been wet. And about every time it dries out, they get started, and then we get another storm. We're supposed to have another storm this weekend again to dampen her back down. And next week, I think all next week, there's chances off and on of rain or snow.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> So what's the mood there like in Greeley? I understand uh, uh, you have at least one reported case of COVID-19 at the JBS meat packing plant. That's been on the national news the past couple days. And a bunch of their other employees have opted to stay home in quarantine. Is that something that uh, is concerning to the folks there? Is it something that's on your radar?
5: Oh, you know, that, yeah, there was, I, I don't know how many. I've been reading some of the stuff on that. I mean, I, you know, it's... Uh they're, they're, you know the people working there saying JBS ain't doing enough to you know coincide with with the virus and stuff, keeping stuff clean enough. But you know I, it's you know it's JBS's word against their word, and because yeah. it hasn't been a large amount of people. I mean, there's been a few of them that have contacted the virus. And, I mean, but they, they haven't shut the plant down. I mean, they're, they're
2: still running. hmm So from where where you sit, it's business as usual though.
5: Oh, yeah, yeah, no, we're, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it, like I say, you know, our parts department's been a little slow, but the shop's been busy, busy, they're still behind, I mean, the one thing that's kind of hurt us, we had two of the employees that, as soon as this hit, they just said, we're leaving, we're not coming back to work until it's over, and so, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, everybody else is comfortable, I mean, we keep stuff wiped down, keep it clean, and. Like I said, our our regular customers keep coming in. I mean, it's, uh, you know, there's a few that are staying on the farm. They said, we'll just stay on the farm and do what we got to do. But, you know, if we need something, we'll come in and get it.
2: (laughs) How did uh, 2019 end up uh, for you and and what had the early part of 2020 looked like for you in in terms of sales?
5: You know, 19 ended up real, real good. I mean, we had a really good December. We had a lot of pre-sales as far as uh, our big hay equipment and stuff. Uh, January, January always is normally slow. I mean, that's just the way it is around here, and you know we're getting stuff ready because we have the Colorado Farm Show at the end of January, and that takes a lot of time and gets the guys in the shop further behind. And uh, in February, if, you know, January, February just normally kind of slow, and then March picked up pretty good. I mean, we had our open house just before this thing uh, came to a. Ahead, and everything got you know shut down, and people wanting people to distance. And uh, you know, we had a pretty fair turnout for the open house. A lot of it wasn't because of the COVID, uh, the open house was a little slim because of the weather, and guys were trying to get in the field work.
2: So, what was the mood like this year at the Colorado Farm Show?
5: Oh, it was good, mm-hmm. it was good. What do like I say? I mean, here. You know, March was good, and April's taking off real good. I mean, equipment sales have been pretty steady.
2: Mm-hmm. That's encouraging.
5: Yeah. Well, well and I say, we're, we're just in an industry, I mean, that can't stop. I mean, the farmer can't say, well, I'm just going to wait till this is over before I go do what i got to do. I mean, it's got to be done when it's got to be done.
2: <laughs> well, listen, I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track, and uh, we, we wish you the best of luck as we get through things. All righty. Well, thank you. Same to you. Well, next up this week on Fastline Fast Track, U.S. Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue and Under Secretary Brandon Lips held a call on Wednesday, April 8th, to update the media on what the USDA is doing to ensure that school children and low income Americans have adequate access to nutritious food, as many around the country are forced to stay at home. Purdue also addressed the request made by Wisconsin Ag Secretary Randy Romanski on behalf of that state's dairy farmers that the federal government purchase excess dairy products to distribute to struggling Americans.
6: Obviously, the purpose is to ensure not only our children and our uh, school programs, but other Americans are fed during this uh, coronavirus pandemic with a lot of uh, dislocation of supply. Uh, USDA, we've expanded new flexibilities and create innovative programs to make sure Americans across the country have access to safe and nutritious food during this national emergency. I want you to know we're working actively with all 50 states and tribes and local partners to maximize the flexibilities whenever possible and wherever possible. We're doing everything we can under the statute uh, limitations that we have. Uh, and uh, that Congress has given us.
2: USDA Undersecretary Brandon Lips, who oversees the USDA's Food Nutrition Service, said the online purchasing pilot program likely will expand to other states in the future. The program allows SNAP participants to order groceries online from Amazon, Walmart, and other participating retailers. It
7: is already available for use in Alabama, Iowa, New York, Oregon, Washington State, and most recently in Nebraska. As the Secretary mentioned earlier, we are announcing today that California and Arizona have been approved to join the pilot. We defer specifics on timing of the operation of their pilot to the state, but we do expect them to be up and running before the end of the month and maybe much sooner. FNS supports expanding the SNAP online pilot program to other states, But that responsibility is ultimately on the state agencies, their third-party processor, and any retailers who wish to participate.
2: Purdue also added some commentary on the speed with which the USDA's Food and Nutrition Service is working to process requests from the states.
7: I would
6: note uh, when people complain about the speed of FNS, this uh, application yesterday was received sometime during the day from Arizona and approved last evening that way. So, it's within the 24-hour time frame uh, on those issues.
2: Purdue also gave a status report on what the USDA is doing to come to the nutritional aid of school children during the COVID-19 crisis. The USDA administers the school meals program, ensuring that more than 30 million children have access to nutritious food daily.
6: So, Our department uh, began very quickly issuing waivers in all 50 states and the territories, allowing for flexibilities in our program. That make it easier for states and local partners to serve children. Obviously, it's uh, when they're all at school. It's one thing when it's not schools not congregating, then the, you've got other opportunities, other challenges out there. So, but the good news is across the country, dedicated school food service nutritional professionals and local program providers have set up feeding sites to serve grab-and-go meals at school and other sites, and created innovative delivery methods such as grab-and-go bus routes. you probably already heard about the program that uh, we collaborated with on Meals for You, a public-private partnership with uh, the Baylor Collaborative on Hunger and Poverty, along with private sector partners McLean Global and PepsiCo that is committed to deliver nearly one million meals per week to children living in rural areas across the country. You're aware that President Trump has recently signed two major pieces of legislation that uh, expanded USDA's opportunity for flexibility and administer billions of dollars in nutrition assistance for Americans. So the team at FNS is working day and night to ensure the states have the flexibilities they need to feed these children and serve others facing hunger issues during this unprecedented time.
2: Undersecretary Lips said the FNS has worked swiftly to grant waivers and state-by-state approvals that allow the states to react quickly to the nutritional needs of their residents.
7: As states identify challenges and needs, we are developing new templates and guidance as quickly as as they can. Our team has been diligently working through these requests over nights and weekends, rolling out materials as soon as they are complete. In total, FNS has granted more than 500 individual waivers of federal statutory and regulatory requirements and offered nationwide flexibility that our state partners have opted into more than 1,100
2: times. Lipp said the USDA has relaxed requirements for SNAP interviews, doing away with the requirement for in-person interviews and replacing them instead with phone interviews. Congress also has expanded the Electronic Benefits Transfer Program. The Pandemic EBT, or PEBT, program allows the value of daily breakfasts and lunches to be added to the accounts of households with eligible students.
7: Family First Act requires interested states to submit a plan for approval that ensures PEBT reaches both SNAP and non-SNAP households households. To ease the the burden on states, we have provided a template to streamline the plan development process. We know that states are juggling a number of competing demands on their IT systems and programs, and that the Act's requirements to reach non-SNAP households is proving to be challenging for some states. Instead, some states have focused first on feeding children directly through our child nutrition programs. PEBT remains an option for states where it makes sense, and FNS is continuing to provide extensive significant technical assistance to help states that are interested in operating this program.
2: On last week's program, Pam Yonke reported that Wisconsin Ag Secretary Randy Romanski sent a letter to Purdue asking the USDA to purchase excess fluid milk and other dairy products to stem milk dumping going on in Wisconsin and other states. Purdue weighed in on that request during the call.
6: Yes, it's a possibility. We have uh, Section 32, but the challenge, and Brandon may talk about, last year I think we had uh, we purchased $50 million worth of fluid milk, and it took us all year long to distribute that uh, out. The challenge is scale and scope, and uh, the amount of uh, oversupply in the dairy industry with the disruption in the food locations and schools and others. So, the uh, that's one alternative to get milk off the uh, off the farms and into homes, but. The challenge the quantity and the size.
2: LIPS also weighed in on the proposal and some of the inherent challenges that come with it.
7: We're certainly working on that on our side uh, very heavily to find out what the capacity is. You all know if you've been to food banks, they have limited uh, cold storage and uh, we're trying to find out what they can take and if there's an opportunity to match that up but match that up but uh, there's certainly a big logistical challenge in that but uh, where folks are willing we're going to continue to move forward on uh, trying to make that
2: happen well we'll keep you updated on the latest usda happenings as the agency continues to navigate the covid19 crisis And now back on Fast Line, Fast Track, and you know one of the things that we always try to do is bring you some of the greatest in traditional country music, and we've had to step away from the Ernest Tup Record Shop and from Hank Snow's iconic Rainbow Ranch. Uh, you know Those guys are still great supporters of ours, and I cannot wait to get back there and do more, but uh, th- this has opened up the door to uh, uh, kind of uh, reach uh, out across the country and bring in some of the other artists that uh, we can't bring uh, necessarily to the record shop or to, to Hank Snow's place to, to, to record. And this week I have the distinct honor of being able to bring in Don Anita, who is the 2018 Academy of Western Artists, Western Female Vocalist of the Year, and uh, also is the aunt of... Uh, the legendary Joe Diffie. And uh, Dawn, welcome in to Fast Line Fast Track.
0: Well, thank you, Brent. I'm happy to be here today and to get to visit with you. Uh,
2: we're, we're thrilled to have you. And first of all, wanted to, uh, uh, on behalf of myself and all of our listeners, uh, offer our condolences for, for the loss of Joe. I know that was a big blow to the music community, but uh, also you guys lost a, a great family member there.
0: Oh yes, there was Joey. I call him Joey. Everybody knows him as Joe Diffie, but there was uh, several Joe Diffies. My dad was Joe Diffie, and so he was called J.D. My brother was Joe Diffie, and that's what we called him. And when Joey decided to record, we always all the family called him Joey. And, uh, of course, all the music world knows him as Joe Diffie, but it's hard for me to say Joe Diffie uh, because I'm his aunt and he's Joey to me. He (laughs) was always Joey. But I'm telling you, it was definitely a tragedy uh, for all the music world. I know his music will live on forever and uh, will cherish his memory. He was absolutely a wonderful, wonderful human being, as well as being a very gifted artist.
2: Well, you're going to hear a little bit of that later on here. Uh, we, we've got a, a, a duet that, uh, that, that Don did with Joe that I can't wait to, to share with you. a Beautiful song. And uh, yeah, I got into, uh, j- just as I was doing some chores the other night on YouTube, a, a video popped up that uh, uh, featured Joe along with Travis Tritt, uh, Waylon Jennings, and Steve Warner in a, a guitar pull that uh, uh, was hosted by Keith Bilberry. And boy, that was something special.
0: I have seen that, yes, it
2: was. Really? Just showed the amazing artistry. I mean, it's one thing to be backed by a band, but just to get up uh, in front of a crowd like that with nothing more than acoustic guitar just showed what a uh, magnificent uh, artist he was.
0: Absolutely. He was, you know, he was just really, in my opinion, one of the greatest of all time
2: in country music. Well, you won't find any argument here. And uh, I tell you, one of the things that uh, I found fascinating about your background here, and and I find this with a lot of the uh, folks who come on the show here, that uh, part of their musical foundation comes from having a weekend, Friday night or Saturday night, uh, picking parties around the house. And I understand the, uh, the Diffie residence was no exception to that.
0: That it was. We used. To, I remember back when I was seven years old, and we lived in in between two little towns, and we were the only house on the uh, road there that had electricity. And the reason we did is because my daddy ran a dairy, and uh, he had uh, a route where he delivered milk, and so he had milking machines, and he milked about eight cows every day. And so we had electricity, but on Saturday nights, we our uh, family would host Saturday Night Music Fest, and everybody from miles around would come and bring their instruments, you know, and fiddle, mandolin, guitars, and whatever, and we'd just all have a good time, and I can remember that like it was yesterday, and it's certainly been a longer time than yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I could hardly wait for my time to get up and perform.
2: So where did your career go from there, and who were some of the folks that really influenced your career as you were coming up?
0: Well, I'll have to say that originally the first female vocalist was Kitty Wells. Mm -hmm. I, I loved Kitty Wells' singing, and then Loretta came along, And there was just something, there were so many good uh, of those traditional country artists, but Loretta had that real genuine uh, down home sound, and the songs that she wrote and sang, I loved. And when I, you know, I sang on stage a lot of times, and people would come up. I have a funny story about me and Loretta, if you'd like to hear it. Yeah,
2: most definitely.
0: Okay, well, I was at a. I had just released back in the 70s, I had released a song, and I was on the back cover of a country music magazine, and we were at the uh, Fort Worth uh, Fat Stock Show, and uh, I had that magazine, and I had that back cover there with me and my horse, a picture. And so this guy comes walking along and he stops and he backs up and he looks at me and he said, Oh, I am just so excited to get to see you. He just was. And I, I knew that he was probably thinking maybe I was Loretta Lynn. I had been mistaken for Loretta Lynn. And it, so I said, Well, here's my picture. And I thought, Well, he'll read that it said under there, Dawn Anita. He read that and he said, "Well, your horse Don Anita is really beautiful." <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't have the heart to tell him. I just gave him a hug, and luckily he didn't ask for my autograph. So, <laughs> 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 so anyway, I, she was a great influence, and of course, Patsy Cline and Tammy Wynette. I I love those traditional artists, and you know, Patsy Cline was a was just the ultimate really so but those were really my influences and of course as male singers i i loved hank snow and i loved uh, uh george jones and waylon and johnny cash and merle haggard i'm just uh, died in the world traditional country music
2: and you've been been able to uh, carry on your career uh, very well uh, using Oklahoma as your as your home base.
0: I have, yes. Now there was um, a time uh, years ago we went we spent. We never sold the farm. You know, you've heard that saying saying don't sell the farm. But we moved to Nashville temporarily for a couple of years, and I uh, did. I had a Canadian tour that over in the eastern part, six weeks Canadian tour, and did a lot of singing and songwriting and everything in and around Nashville. And But we still kept our home and our ranch here in Oklahoma, and that's where we our base has really
2: been. So the neat thing about uh, your career and being able to be independent is getting to pick and choose the, the projects that... Uh, mean the most to you and, and doing a lot of the stuff that you really want to do and be able to chart your own course.
0: That's absolutely right. And then in, in the latter part of my career here, it has been wonderful. The Actually, the Internet has made it possible for independent artists like myself to be able to get their music heard. Whereas when I first started, it was very difficult because if you weren't signed to a major label, it uh, you know, your music, I did carry my music around to radio stations back when I first started. And at that point, you could walk in and, and get your music played, you know, if they weren't too busy. And then it came along where the playlists were already pre-programmed and it was difficult to get your music heard. But now it's been wonderful. And uh, when I joined the a couple of years ago, joined the Western Music Association and uh, the well, it's the Academy of Western Music uh, artists. It's really been very good for my career.
2: Yeah, so much talent there in the AWA, and we've had a chance to focus on a few of their members uh, since we've had this show going on, and uh, can't wait to, to to focus on some more because they are really keeping alive that uh, tradition of the true traditional country music and also uh, the great western swing music.
0: They are, and I, you know, I in my first part of my career, I sang with the Texas Playboys, and. Uh, with members of the band and the Texas Playboys, and during that time, of course, I got real involved with Western Swing, and they were just an awesome band, and they still are. They're still members—not that I had played with back then—but they're still members, and they're great, great Western Swing music.
2: And then you also add to that uh, Red Steagall, Hank Thompson, Mel Tillis, Johnny Russell, Willie. Gene Watson? Oh, yeah, So so many of the <laughs> others. What, what were those experiences like uh, w- when you had those opportunities to uh, do what you love to do with some of the greats?
0: Well, it was always nice to be able, and most of those artists that, uh, that I had an opportunity to perform with, they were always gracious and very nice and good to be around. And my very first performance, and you probably won't even know who this guy is, but he had a song called Hello Trouble, and it was a guy by the name of Orville Couch, and he was just kind of those one-tune singers. It didn't happen. uh, His career didn't take off, but uh, my uh, brother actually booked this, and I was so young and naive, I didn't realize that I said, you're booked down at this club with Orville Couch, but I didn't realize I was supposed to bring my band, uh, and I didn't have a band, actually. It was just me at the time. And I walked in, and uh, so the guy, the club owner said, well, where's your band? And I said, well, I don't have one. And Orville Couch was standing there, and he said, well, I do. And he said, my band will be glad to back you up. And, of course, what I was singing was classic country, traditional songs. So they just did a wonderful job. So it was always a, a great experience. To There was different things that happened with different artists, but that it, that it was a great experience being able to perform with a lot of those artists.
2: So another one of the neat things you've had a chance to uh, be involved with in your career is the Ms. Senior Oklahoma of America pageant. Uh,
1: yes,
0: I, I had the honor of being named Miss Senior Oklahoma of America in 2017, and which was a really uh, such a great honor. And I had such a great time during that period whenever I was happy. I still have that title, but there's been new queens since then, and Mm. I was never – I was always such a country girl, helped my dad on the ranch and rode horses. In fact, when my husband now – and he's been my husband for 61 years, going on 62. When he first came to pick me up uh, for the prom, I was still on horseback (laughs) 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 and not ready yet. So I was not – normally in that genre you know of being a a prom queen but it there was, the, they asked me to do it, and I was off. I was shocked whenever I won.
2: That's excellent. And uh, you, you continue to make great music. You, your most recent album, Saddling Up for God, Country, and Cowboys, was released last October and uh, getting some good airplay uh, both in the United States and overseas.
0: Absolutely. It has been received very well. I have a song in there entitled stand up I'm talking about Texas which I co-wrote with the guy that I've written songs with down through the years named Ronnie Bishop and he's a great songwriter and and artist and anyway we wrote it by telephone we'd get ideas you know back and forth and when it it just came off in the studio it just happened to turn out magically and it's a western swing tune and it was had the honor of being in the fall, I think, of 2019, uh, being named the top song that played by
2: Western DJs. Now, I imagine uh, you you have to be careful of the time and place you play that in Oklahoma.
0: (laughs) Well, that's the reason I wrote that song called My Oklahoma Cowboy. So they know that, hey... You know we love our sister state there, but I'm a okie through and through. There you go. <laughs>
2: you got a foot in both camps. <laughs> yeah. so, so what's on the horizon for you?
0: Well, uh, you know I had several things like everybody else going, but uh, we are in the process now. Uh, you know those have all those have been canceled temporarily, but in in the process. Uh, since my nephew's death, um, his unfortunate death, I had some recordings that we did back in his home studio uh, about t- a couple of years before he signed with uh, Sony, and uh, I'm in the process of getting those ready uh, to be released.
2: Oh, wow. And the one we're going to hear here in a little bit, Sweet Dreams Die Hard, such a great song.
0: Oh, yes. It was written by a good friend and a great songwriter named Gary Sifton. He's had songs cut by Blake Price and uh, Tom T. Hall, and so he he's a very good songwriter, and uh, just the, the song is really... I think it could be a classic country song for sure.
2: So, do you ever sit around and think about uh, you? You're putting out all this great music. Uh, this is going to be around for generations to come. Here, you you really built a great legacy.
0: Well, uh, you know, I hadn't even I've never given that exactly any thought. I just love music, and it's always been a part of my life, and a part of the Diffie family. Our entire family is musically inclined. You know my. My dad was a great singer. My brother's a great singer. My sister sang. My mother played piano and mandolin and uh, guitar and sang and wrote songs. My, so it's just a, a part of who I am. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I tell you what, we certainly appreciate you sharing a part of that with us, and uh, we're, we're going to uh, t- turn it over here and uh, let folks hear some of that great music. And again, uh, Don, we really appreciate you taking the time to spend here with us on Fast Line Fast Track, and you're welcome back here anytime.
0: Well, I thank you very much. I really enjoyed it, Brent, and uh, you did your homework. You knew a lot about me that I didn't know you knew. <laughs>
2: Well, that's that's part of it. We we, we try to make sure we're, we're we're paying attention here to that kind of stuff. Well,
0: I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed it so much.
2: And now it's my honor to share with you a double play of Dawn Anita, first singing my Oklahoma Cowboy, and then Friday Night Cowboy. After that, we'll play Sweet Dreams Die Hard, a duet featuring Dawn and her nephew, the great Joe Diffie. I know
1: you've heard a lot about. Me. Texas Cowboys I don't doubt all that bragging's true but I'll bet you there is one in Oklahoma that can beat them all Everything I ever thought I wanted. sit for long he owns every song he's there for his friday night flame he's a friday night cowboy he can show you how he's smooth the silk when he steps on that floor he knows how to win them when he starts to spin them he's a country cool dancing fool this friday night surrounded by gray skies, fenced in by cold glass and steel. He's taking the heat five long days a week, sweating them big dollar deals. Come Friday night, he's wound up tight. He's raring to get out and swing. Stepping out of that suit into Stetson and Blue. Show you how boys boy that the silk when he steps on that floor. He knows how to win 'em when he starts to spin 'em. He's a country cool dancing fool this Friday night. Crowd
8: i Just hang around my mind like pictures hanging on the wall. The best of all the good times are the ones I still recall.
2: And those were the great traditional country sounds of Dawn Anita. And on that last track, her nephew, the great Joe Diffie. You can check out all the latest Dawn Dawn, including her music at dawnanita.com. We want the entire Diffie family to know that we continue to lift them up in prayer, and we hope to have Dawn back with us in the future. We also want to thank our friends at the Ernest Tubb Record Shop for making that performance possible. We hope when the shop reopens, you go and support them. They have a great selection of traditional country music on CD and vinyl and a huge selection of really cool merchandise. You can check them out at etrecordshop.com. And while you're searching on the Internet in your downtime, head on over to fastline.com. Check out the equipment locator with the price comparison tool featuring the Iron Average powered by Iron Solutions. And while you're on the website, don't forget to up. Sign up to receive the print catalog for your state or region. Even through this pandemic, the FastLine catalog is still being delivered to your mailbox. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the FastLine Fast Track podcast at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or iHeartRadio. Also, be sure to follow FastLine Fast Track on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube, and add our Spotify playlist to your library for music from past, current, and upcoming guests of the show. A couple quick programming notes. Last week, we told you that we'd have the music of Alex Schofield. That performance has been moved to episode 53, which will be released May 1st. We hope you'll come back and check that out. Next week, we'll bring you the first of a two-part series with one of the most fascinating guys in all of traditional country music, Dennis Stromat. You won't want to miss that. And also, we want to say that we were honored this week to be named among the top 35 podcasts in agriculture on Feedspot as compiled by Anuj Agarwal. We'll add a link to the complete list in the show notes, and we hope you'll check it out. Next week, we'll keep you up to date on the latest information on how COVID-19 is affecting the agriculture industry. Until then, it's Brent Adams saying y'all come back. And bring along a friend. You've been listening to Fastline Fast Track, presented by Fastline Media Group. To learn more about Fastline's customer focused marketing solutions, visit fastlinemediagroup.com and check out our brand websites fastline.com, bigag.com, and pinktractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at brent.adams at fastline.com.